When I was growing up, I had the privilege of being around my grandparents and specifically remember eating my party's rasam and potato fry, a staple in every Tamil household typically. The entire house would be filled with that fragrance and I'd be trying to sort of fight over every piece of potato with my younger brother and only she knew how to sort of get them right, right? My mother can't get it right even today, honestly. Soft on the inside, crispy on the outside, the typical way that you'd like your potato. Now, Andhwani, in fact, all of these feelings of nostalgia and that little bit of that pang, you know, while reminiscing about these bittersweet memories came back rushing when I read your book to Vinaya just about a couple of days ago. As is death by itself is such a tough event to process for adults, but I just love how, you know, both you and your mom were able to bring both of those concepts together so beautifully, you know, through through uh, Mali's perspective in that book of yours. And on that note, Dwani, thank you so, so much for agreeing to do this with me. I'm super excited about all of the things that we're going to be able to unfold here today, from your relationship with food to your love for stories and how you have managed to bring both of these together as a children's book author. Thank you so much, Smriti. Uh, I think those have some very, very kind words and uh, very excited to be on uh, your show today. Great. Now, I'd love for us to sort of maybe begin, uh, you know, with how you decided to tap into that little spark of yours to becoming a children's book author, right? Storytelling by itself is a very, very different concept, uh, you know, uh, when, when compared to writing a story from scratch. Now, while I know you grew up with several role models at home, including your Amma, I'd love for you to tell me what got you to decide that it was important for you to pen this story down specifically. Um, so, Smriti, I don't know if you'd believe me if I told you that uh, there was no spark about becoming a children's author before, uh, I mean, until Parties Rasam actually came out. Right. Um, because, uh, I, I mean, I never thought I would write. I, I was one of those kids who would love to go for uh, writing workshops in the summer. And if you remember good books when we were kids, yeah, uh, yeah. I spent all summer growing, all my summers was, were in good books. And uh, there was Sandhya Rao, who is, I still consider my guru as far as whatever little I can write is because of Sandhya Andi. Um, and, you know, I used to do all of that and I used to enjoy writing then. I enjoy writing for myself now, but I never thought I'd be writing, uh, you know, for an audience. Um, and that actually happened because of the story itself. So I'm going to tell you a little story about how the story of Parties Rasan came uh, to be. Uh, it all started with uh, my mother, of course, the mm-hmm. uh, the resident idea machine, as I'd like to call her at home. Um, she had uh, her first book, The Jungle Storytelling Festival, had just come out. And because of that, she was at a children's lit fest uh, somewhere in Nagaland. And I remember getting a call from her. Uh, and it was like Super Patchy Network. She was in a bus from place A to B. And she called me and she said, Dhani, what if there is this little girl who loves her party's rasam and one fine day party goes and the rasam recipe goes with her? What does she do? Right. And I just remember at that moment, I, I sort of like froze. I know this sounds a bit filmy, but I actually froze and I said, Ma, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm writing this story. And it was just that because, um, you know, what I think I didn't realize uh, back then was how close this was to me. Uh, Parties yeah. Rasam in so many ways is actually autobiographical. Uh, it's about my relationship with my party, my mother's mother. Um, mm-hmm. And so I lost my party, uh, we're in 2023. So yeah, about 12 years ago now. And mm-hmm. um, I was in college, I was 18. And I remember, I actually remember not having much of a, a vocabulary for my grief back then. In fact, yeah. I barely cried. She was ill for a couple of months before she passed, but I barely cried. 
and you know i i think i am more emotional about her passing today 12 years later than i was back then yeah. um and one of the things that i remember very very clearly right is i was um, my party was a phenomenal cook like i today whatever it is whatever love i have for food today is because of my party and uh, she was a phenomenal cook and her star dish was rasam and she used to make mm-hmm. varieties of rasam and they used to stay right opposite us so every day after school would be go to parties house eat rasam sadam and then go on with the rest of your life i mean i used to eat rasam every day till the point where party was bored and she'd be like no i need to feed you something else so um <laughs> in fact she's the one who gave me a nickname my nickname at home was rasa party for the longest time because of her uh but once she passed right um i actually stopped liking rasam and wow. this is something i realized only through the course of writing the book that i was like shit man this is probably why this is probably why i've been feeling this way this is probably how i've been processing my grief because yeah. i think you would agree with me when i uh, say that you know when even 10 years ago the kind of awareness uh, and the agency that we have in using certain words to express our emotions and our feelings didn't exist absolutely yeah Um, yeah. and um i just feel like you know there was no way for me to say oh this is how i'm feeling or i'm processing even the word processing right yeah um, yeah was was never something you used in context of at least i didn't hear it being used in the context of you know your mental health or the way you're feeling so um yeah for me it was just it was just this it was this entire i suddenly had this big thing hanging over me and i was like Oh damn I need to do something about it. So that's right. how the story came and it's been a beautiful process actually uh writing this book because uh we wrote it through covid. Uh mm-hmm. we had the idea pre covid but we were writing it through covid and I by some crazy twist of fate so I, I live and work in Bangalore but I was suddenly home during Chennai just in time for the lockdown not by design. And uh yeah one and a half years just sitting at home and figuring out how we were going to tell the story to the world. So it was quite lovely. doing it at that time i love what you just said right because i think even when we were children dhwani like you rightly said right at least in my household um we i wouldn't say that they've never considered mental health to be important uh, absolutely it absolutely was but it was never in the context of having to manage or cope with it right so yeah it could be in any form or manner it could be the fact that you would want to sit in the middle of the room and scream or the fact that you want to cry your eyes out the whole night or it could be just be the fact that you want to vocalize the fact that you're feeling in a certain way now while that used to happen in bits and pieces i don't think it ever happened in the context of death if you think about it right because as yeah. children we are never allowed to be exposed to big events like death and we're never allowed to sort of understand how you process big feelings like grief and loss right now yes. how would you express grief or loss typically now at least when i used to express it uh, you know when i used to lose a favorite toy or i used to be sad about the to- fact that my brother broke a toy just to be simply just retaliating right and just being you know just being a rebel and just sort of maybe just hating the whole world around you if you think about it yeah now yes. that's typically yes. how we were allowed to process it as well right they used to just let us be in that sense but when it came to death i think uh, one of the things that that my mother always felt was the fact that it was important to keep the children away from something like that right because mm-hmm. obviously i'm assuming she didn't have that vocabulary to sort of tell us what happens after death like where does that person go and i know you'd want to speak about this a little later but you know what i'd love to hear from you is essentially why did you think it was important for you to address something like this in terms of the fact that it's okay for children to be associated with big feelings and to be able to 
witness big events like these but in a very subtle way right obviously wouldn't we wouldn't want to scare the crap out of them but the idea yeah. is at least they need to be made aware of the fact that something like that has happened now why did you think it was important for you to address this with parties rasam oh okay so bunch of little stories coming your way um so the first one is actually i'm going to go back to when i was a child which is uh, i remember specifically class 6 right um and just because of the nature of my mother's profession right that was sort of when she was in the limelight you know she had done a bunch of films at that point and uh, yeah. uh i did have i do have a bunch of uh, famous people in my family as it were and mm-hmm. i used to be an incredibly good student at that point right always getting like 95 plus one of those super padips cases you know as we say in chennai and uh, i just remember it felt i was bullied i was bullied in class 6 for like almost 3 to 4 months total where my entire class refused to speak to me because they were like she has famous people in her life you know it was it was just the weirdest thing uh, kids yeah. can be mean they don't yeah. realize what they're saying then i i i feel like because i remember sitting in therapy 16 years later after all of this bullying just pre covid and like weeping my guts out saying how could they do this to me right uh which right. is great i i eventually found my catharsis and i can talk about it now but the thing that struck me the most was uh when my mother actually came to school to take this up with one of my teachers to say hey this is happening you know how can i help her how can we help her is there any way to just talk to the children to understand what is happening because my family has been very pro mental health for generations now there's like a lot of interesting stories there for another time um yeah. but at that particular moment uh you know my the teacher in question simply looked up at my mother and she also happened to be a family friend looked mm-hmm. up at my mother and said you know you know janki these things just happen you know it happens to kids of famous people she just needs to learn to suck up and deal with it oh, and wow. i was just thinking about how if something like this were to happen to a child in today's context i mean if if any any person in sort of having some sort of power in that situation were to say that the kind of uproar it would cause right because yeah. you'd want there to be some amount of some initiation of dialogue nobody has expect you to solve that but just maybe try and talk to the kids and understand because i feel like you know the reason people bully you or at least back then i felt like the way they were bullying me right was because they had something clearly that they felt like they needed to express and they didn't have any other way to express it it's not like they knew what they were doing i don't know what i would have we were all 12 for heaven's sake um but as an adult in that situation um you know just the way it was handled i think was handled very poorly because yeah. i i i know that it's had you know like repercussions and it's had a very very long lasting impact on me uh like right. just the one thing i remember is i was never able to get good grades after that you know i would just i was happy staying at that 75% i could never get a 90 plus after that i never did um which is which is like stuff that i realize now and which is why i realize that you know as much as we talk about children feeling big things it's there's nothing new that we're doing they're feeling the big things anyway Uh, what i feel children's books do is hopefully give uh, not just them some sort of vocabulary or relatability or just give them analogies if nothing else but most of the time there are parents who are choosing that book for the children or adults who are choosing these books for children which is also sensitizing them which is why i believe picture books are not just for kids right they're also for adults the number Correct. of people we had uh, you know like older people coming and saying this book was so beautiful you know i cried so much it made me miss my party i just lost my mother my mother's not you know my mother sort of going through uh, you know dementia right now so i'm actually sitting with her and documenting her recipes every day you know these right. are small things that just came back i'm actually getting goosebumps while saying this because i didn't think parties rasam would have the sort of impact um i think we we sort of um i'm going to use the word lucked out to say that we lucked out in 
connecting with a rather universal emotion of being Correct. fed by someone you love right um which is why i felt that this was the perfect vehicle to talk about something like that but you know the whole thing of big feelings mm-hmm. is the children are going through it anyway and you know to top it with the fact that we wrote this through the lockdown there were people i mean death was around us all the time yeah there was no way you could shield people from it anymore because kids knew that oh there's something called corona people are there people are outside dying you can't just say people are getting sick because kids will be like oh they can take a medicine and get better and then you like get oh, better no yeah so you know yeah. it it brought that conversation of death so so like sort of up front which is why this book um this is why the story i felt was uh, we felt was very necessary it just made sense to sort of give people a vehicle to uh you know ha- just have these words have a story have something to at least refer to if not relate to when having Absolutely. a conversation um and i think one of the things i told you uh, when we spoke earlier was just about how i was very particular that i wanted to include the word death in some form in the book mm-hmm. uh, yep. till up she stepped in and said don't it's not on you she, she kept saying it's not on you to tell them what death is it is your job to ignite actually i'm going to use the word spark because we're here right so it's it's your job to sort of spark that thought spark that conversation correct because ultimately it's like it's like you you decide to tell uh, you know you get to decide when to tell vinay about death i as an author can't just be like oh here you go you know please talk to your children about death correct. i'm not a parent yeah. i'm no expert i can't force that conversation on you but i think from your end if i have if i if i've empowered you as a parent enough with a book to say hey you know we can talk about this concept and do you have any questions about it do you have any feelings about it um i think i've done my job absolutely and in fact you know dhwani that takes me back to what really happened about a couple of months ago as well right yeah. uh vinaya is now turning 3 very soon and obviously then her vocabulary is also obviously increased and she's thinking of things a lot more differently than she did till about a year ago Now we lost our very near and dear cat that used to stay inside the house. His name was Casper. He was about seven years old, and Vinaya was extremely close to him. Uh, mm. She loved that cat to bits, and she would just follow him wherever he went, and he would follow her wherever she was in the house. Right? Just about a couple of couple of months ago, she looked at, looked at me one day because we were looking at Casper's photos, and she looked at it and she said, "Amma, where is Casper?" and uh i told her i said you know he's he's right there right next to the gate where he's he's sleeping and she she actually asked me she said can you bring him back because i want to play with him mm-hmm. and that obviously shook me right and and i'm sitting there and i'm like oh my god like how am i supposed to respond to something like this because one she's not even 3 yet i didn't know how i was going to tell her this right and tell her i i didn't know how to explain this honestly i was just stumped and i was lost for words and it's very rare for me to be lost for words but i thought it was important for me to tell her and then i obviously brought it back right and i told her i said you remember what i told you when i when we lay him to rest you know the fact that he is gone off to sleep and that he will come back in some other form or manner in your life at some point in time so she looked at me and she said okay amma and she just walked away but the but the point here is the fact that you are you're absolutely bang on when you tell me the fact that you know parents don't necessarily have that vocabulary dhwani because it's so difficult one it's as is very difficult for us to process death right we don't we can't yeah. handle it and i think we handle it far worse than children do honestly and that's where the need for that vocabulary really sort of comes in right now 
on that note and to to take this conversation to a much lighter note right now you pretty much nailed it for me when you spoke about mali and her love for her parties rasam right yeah. there are certain familiar foods and fragrances that that sort of take you back to when you were when we could ha- even hardly speak full sentences if you think about it right it you sort of sit and reminisce and you're like oh my god this smells so familiar and you just go back to like 20 years ago Now yes. do you believe that your love for food started with your parties rasam I know you answered a little bit of this but I'd love for you to go a little deeper uh, in this for sure Dwani Yeah I mean um it's not just parties rasam I think my love for food started in my parties kitchen um so you know here's the funny thing smriti uh, everybody in my family cooks and when I mean everybody right? it's wow. uh, I grew up with my parents fighting over who would make my dabba for school So I I was just this incredibly spoiled child as far as food was concerned right food was always and has always been a lot of fun in my family and um, in 98 when I was about 5 years old my party and tata moved from delhi to chennai and that was it mm-hmm. because I had like obviously had like tiny memories of eating in parties house when I had gone to delhi as a 3 year old but like here she was like from 5 till 18 I just had them across like every single day right, right? so um yeah for her food was her love language and had these ways of making me eat everything so um i used to hate tomatoes as a kid and i love tomatoes now and it all happened because party fed me one tomato sandwich when i was like 6 those are the kind of things that my party was capable of doing i always think she was a miracle worker as far as my food preferences were concerned so um that's where it started and actually somebody asked me once you know what was the first thing or when did you first start cooking and i actually yeah. don't remember uh i i'd like to think that's because it's been sort of so ubiquitous in in uh, you know in my life but i do remember the first thing i ever tried to cook independently which was potato fry right mm-hmm. um except like i had no clue so i just thought that the potato fry happens on your plate so i took boiled potato and i just put like raw turmeric and raw mustard and oil and i was like potato fry and then i ate it and i realized that this is exactly how you must never make potato fry in your life so that's where food came from in my life and i'm sure that's obviously changed right over the years in terms of your relationship with food now you also continue to work with food as well and i would choose to believe that when you love what you do for a living you're pretty much living the dream in that sense right so why don't you tell me a little bit about how that relationship has changed over the years Oh so you know very funnily uh, when i had finished uh, my like undergrad and stuff i wasn't very sure what i wanted to do um and i had been placed somewhere and i absolutely detested that job i mean it's the like i quit my first ever job in like within within 5 minutes of being in that office i knew that i, I wanted out so i was out in 3 months and right. i went through a period of 3 months not knowing what i wanted to do and uh, for all of us in chennai we we know sandies right as an institution pretty yep. much as a restaurant like we've all grown up with like some version of tiny chocolate cake i've saved up of to eat course. that tiny chocolate cake and uh, <laughs> that was when there was a lot of uh, food television happening as well uh, with like on tlc that channel and there was like different shows and i remember just watching a lot of food based content and that was around the time when masterchef australia started airing as well um and i remember you know sort of sitting in sandies and just telling a friend you know one day i'm going to work with this man and the i i feel like the universe does has its way of like getting things to you especially when you really want it through a bunch of mutual contacts i actually managed to meet sandy who's now a friend and a mentor um right and uh, i said you know i went to him with this with these really grand plans and he looked at me and he said he was just 
he was marveling at how clueless i was and he said you know what why don't you come and understand how the food business works he says mm-hmm. very different to sort of love food from afar um and very different when you're actually in the business right uh and that's how my my entire like professional life with food started because i was working with him at the old madras baking company for a while um and you know so that sort of kick started what i wanted to do and how i sort of eventually landed up to where i am today uh, building cloud kitchens so mm-hmm. um you know the thing i realized is how much uh, how i fiercely guard cooking as a passion uh because food is one thing i think loving food is one loving cooking is a completely different ball game and i think uh the the love for cooking is what i'd attribute to my party because she was always so happy she would never be frazzled when she was cooking like if she was in a bad mood she would go cook if she was happy she would go cook it was her escape it was right. her place and this is somebody who used to also work right but she just loved that and that was something so inspiring for me and when right. i sort of yeah. went to college and went, left chennai and went to delhi to study and realizing how much there was so much conversation about how cooking can actually imprison women especially right yeah um, and i realized what a point like place of privilege it's been for me to uh, like come from a place where cooking has always been seen as an act of uh, leisure and liberation so um i just decided that i wanted to keep cooking and it was it was like okay this is my craft i'm going to build it but i'm doing it for me uh, because the number of times i've contemplated cooking professionally or like going to culinary school and i've always shut myself down with the idea because i said you know this is my passion this is what i do for fun and Correct. sometimes when you take and especially in the industry that industry that's so demanding right uh, uh you know i didn't want to convert this into like a the the cooking the act of cooking itself into a profession but the yeah. fact that i can work around food for me um just like made it, it it felt so poetically perfect because i said i get to do my thing i get to do something around food but it's not affecting my love of cooking and i still get to learn more every day um so i think that way understanding my relationship with cooking as a separate track to my relationship with food i think was a very important distinction but uh, yeah i think it's just that relationship has been so much about just discovering different ways of doing things different ways of feeding myself and actually nourishing myself like focusing on just eating i i'm not going to say eating right or healthy because i feel like those are very overused contested terms i'm just going to say eating in a way that i like which i know is not going to necessarily harm my body correct because basic. i think eating yeah. healthy eating clean uh, etc are all very fluid terms right because how i eat clean may not be necessarily the same way you do it food is very very personal that way adhwani uh, in fact this you know what you just said right now uh, takes me back to the conversation that i had with shreya vitaldev she is a home cook and in fact is following her passion today and she's doing so fabulously well for herself now when i spoke to her one of the things that she said was cooking by itself is actually seen as a chore today when it actually is not a chore it's about nourishing you and nourishing yourself and the family around you because the day that you see it as a chore it's something that you don't want to do and you'd rather swiggy something for yourself for that particular day so i just love what you just said right the very fact that it's not a chore it's about taking care of yourself the way you'd want to be taken care of right i think that's really the point here because and that's what cooking does to you as well right you do it in a way that you'd like to eat that food yeah and you know smriti the other thing about what this has done for me right improving my relationship with food is um, so one of the other things that i was bullied uh, for as a kid uh, and you know these comments sort of continued into adulthood was about my size right uh, I've always been the chubby kid always had like a little bit of a toppai and all of that right and yeah uh, and i remember how you know and i think these things when they happen to you sort of swing you 
you tend to go one of two directions maybe there are more but in my experience i've seen people go in one of two directions either you kind of go into complete like how dare you say this to me and like go into extreme fitness mode or you otherwise go into this whole like i don't give a damn about what you say and yeah. you start like eating what you want anyway you continue just being who you are and yeah. uh in my case i sort of went the other way right i sort of became i'm like i don't care what you say that was just the way i was shutting up but actually internally i think i was definitely hurting uh mm-hmm. about the fact that people were making these comments about me and i have for, for the life of me right i've never ever enjoyed working out i have never till yeah. like a few years ago where i discovered like lifting and using weights as a way of working out and um you know now i have i have my, my relationship with my body has improved so much more um and because that happened it became this thing of okay you know i've improved my relationship with my body what are the things that i can eat to make myself feel good so it's not like i'm always eating only vegetables if i want a mac and cheese i am going to have a mac and cheese and if it's a day that i don't feel like cooking too bad i'm going to you know order it and it's fine yeah. but just yeah. sort of trying to achieve some sort of balance that that feels okay to me now doni time for you to spill the beans on you know that that little secret of yours in terms of how you're working towards making people sort of change i wouldn't say change their relationship with food but to sort of you know evolve their relationship with food in that sense right now tell me more and why do you think it was important for you to do this um i mean i think more than changing anything i just want people to see that cooking can be enjoyable it's not boring uh and it's not that i'm giving like a blanket solution i will my the whole idea that i have is hey come cook with me once and see if it's still fun if you don't find it fun after that that's still fine not everybody has to love cooking right um yeah. i'm still trying to experiment with more groups of people uh to see right. how uh to see how this can happen i love cooking with children i've done it plenty of times so um that's something i want to get back to as at some level as well because i think for me uh my relationship with cooking sort of evolved at a very very young age right and then sort of you, when you grow up with something i think you have a much stronger relationship with it at least that's happened in my case um so that's something i'd like to do as well and um, yeah eventually maybe i'm i'm thinking about writing something currently i'm writing a small book for someone in the family you know just just like with a bunch of like structures and frameworks that you can use right now i'm having more fun doing this as well because i'm trying to like zoom out and um i'm thinking about how i think which is something i've never done before so i'm actually having a lot of fun doing that so yeah hopefully i get to do something bigger with this at some point no and i think it's it's uh dhani i don't think it's ever about whether it's big enough or small enough or you're sort of influencing millions of people or hundreds of people right now on that note by the way shreya herself is in fact has always thought of starting a community table at her place in the sense that how do i get more number of people to sort of come over and eat a meal yeah, and where i, I can I cook a meal for i heard that episode and i i, I loved the idea when she was speaking about uh, the community table right and she was absolutely. talking about the aspect but i was just like wow this is such a cool idea absolutely right and and at some point i think you should just get in touch with her because if she's looking at doing something like that and you know with your love for cooking her love for cooking and just basically just feeding people right i think it's <laughs> such a by itself right the very fact that you bring in that sort of little community and it could just be 10 people honey what i constantly speak about across all of my episodes right i think the idea is if you're able to sort of pull in that community of whatever the size it may be whatever impact that it may be just the very fact that you're doing it right and you're sharing your love for something that you're doing so well i think is good enough right it's not about it's really not about the magnitude it's not about the scale at all 